Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season we're a little bit different. We're not only going to do that, but we're going to focus on a little bit more. Since the pandemic began, we know so many people have struggled with maintaining their habits of, of success in work, but also everything else outside of work with it. You know, how do you as a recruitment leader and founder maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how? Do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. That's every single week. You have an opportunity to learn from an expert or one of the most decorated successful recruitment founders on the planet. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the RAG Podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. And I am, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a different mood today. This is a really, really exciting episode. I, uh, uh, this is the first episode, I believe, that I've done in two and a half years with someone who's never worked in the recruitment sector, it's got nothing to do with our sector, um, isn't a recruitment founder, but um, absolutely fits the the mold of what I'm trying to achieve with this series, which is all about health and well-being and how do we grow our businesses sustainably, both you know in and outside of work. Um, I'm joined today by Dr. Aria. I will get into um, the the story of Aria in just a moment, just so you know, he's a high performance psychologist who works with you know A list actors and singers all the way to C suite um, executives and founders of businesses that are seven figures all the way up to a billion pound. Um, he's got experience of working with recruitment owners as well, which I'm aware of, which is cool. Um, but absolutely bags of knowledge we're going to tap into. Before we do, I'm going to quickly I want to mention our sponsors. Right, I've got some. You guys know by now, you know, our friends and, and main sponsor for the longest time is Odro. Um, and I wanted to mention some news from Odro today. They have announced their latest CRM integration. So, you know, Odro have already integrated with Bullhorn and Vincere, our other sponsors, um, which has gone amazingly well. Well, their video engagement and interview tech now is fully integrated baked, as they called it, into the job adder system. All right. So if you know the team, Odro, like I know, they're, they don't mess about, right? These guys are the they've got the best developers, they've got the best team they can find. So we know for a fact that this integration is super slick and it will instantly streamline your processes um, if you're using the Audro platform. So if you're a job adder user um, or if you're using any other CRMs and you would like to know if yours is coming next, then get in touch with the guys at audro.co.uk forward slash demo. Look, loads of my connections are already on board. I spoke to a client this week who've been listening to the rag um, for about a year or so. And they said, you know, they've already got Audra, they've got Vincere, they've been listening. So uh, a demo is definitely worth your time. 
Okay, our second sponsor today, as you might have guessed it, is Vincere. Um, these guys are the CRM of choice for my, for me. They're the, they're the fastest growing, the, the one that every agency I talk to seems to be joining right now. And they've got some news. They are officially launching in the US with their first office in Atlanta, which is amazing news, right? They've got clients in the US. They're not completely green to the, to the market, but they've strategically held back their US presence. They wanted to do it in real Vinny style, right? And that means hiring a team, boots on the ground. They're, they're very proud to say they are office first as a business. So they're now ready. They've hired a team and they've got the, they've got their first office set up. They are hiring people. So if you're, an, you're, an, you're a recruiter or an ex-recruiter in the US, you want to join their team, get in touch. Um, but they are looking now for new customers to acquire agencies of 20 more uh, users to join uh the market's leading and fastest growing CRM. So if you're in the US and you're 20 plus or in the UK at any size, then they offer amazing discounts for RAG listeners. Go to www.vincere.io forward slash RAG. Not the RAG, just RAG. All right. So into today's show, I mentioned Aria um, and I want to give a bit of a backstory. So Aria is... As I said, he works with people at the top of their game. So, you know, from people in high profile, you know, people in the public eye all the way to people in business. Um, and a lot of this is about maintaining peak performance, both mentally um, and somewhat physically to achieve their goals and, and just stay stay ahead of the game. Um, I personally first heard of Aria whilst listening to one of my favorite podcasts, The Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett, one of the, if not the the UK's leading podcast right now. Um I listened to Ari's story, which I'll let him explain some of it. And, and uh, it resonated. So it was very similar to me. I was recently single. I'd split up with my wife. And the way Aria was very open about his marriage and the way that his broke down was so similar to mine in the way that he dealt with it. Um, so much so it made me, it actually made me cry listening to I was walking through Manchester City Center with my dog at 6.37 a.m. on a Wednesday, I think it was. And I was streaming tears down my face. And I've never had that before. And uh, so I literally... I messaged my business partner, Amma, I said, I've got to talk to this guy. Like, I need some help. And who better than someone who's been through it? It turned out Amma had already messaged and spoke to you a year before. And for some reason, it never got to me. So anyway, we reached out. That was, I think it was early October 2020. And, uh, well, I'm still one of your clients today. I've been working with you 90 minutes a week, I think, ever since, including, last, were we on last night? Oh, it was Tuesday night, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So, Aria, long-winded intro, but welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. Not a, not a problem. It's a pleasure. Look, I've done you a bit of an intro. Uh, I'm prob I'm not bad with words, but I don't think I could explain it quite like you. So if someone said to you in a coffee shop or a restaurant or bar, whatever, what do you do? How do you explain it? If I had to boil it down, it would be that I coach people to optimize their mindset and then be their, the best version of themselves across multiple aspects of their lives. And so... Essentially, like you're saying, I'll work with people who are at the top of the game professionally, but then they're still struggling with an aspect. You know, often my clients are very entrepreneurial, they're ambitious, they're growth driven, uh, they're often business owners or C level in recruitment or creative industries, and they've got a high level of responsibility and they lead large teams. And despite potentially their business or their career really flourishing, they're finding that actually, despite this, material success or the status yeah. they're still experiencing fears or anxieties or their self-doubt or imposter syndrome or there's lack of balance or they're going through relationship difficulties or 
their health has fallen off the radar and they don't feel good about themselves. So at the core of it, it's really emotional resilience. You know, how do you help people to cope with high pressure environments whenever something in their personal life or work has thrown them off, when they've lost a sense of balance, when they're struggling? How do you get back up? But not only that, how do you grow and evolve as a person emotionally, psychologically, physically, and become an even better version of yourself, which then naturally leads to higher performance? Wow. That was better than my explanation. I'm not sure. I think I preferred you. <laughs> I would rather. Um, I think it's just the, the, the aria tone, you know, you just got that tone. It just worked. But no. It's the mic. I've got this um, soft tone on it. And it just, is that what it is? You I've actually it. got a really squeaky voice. You sound like Barry White right now. So you're, you're killing it. Um, Let's get no, in, all, in all seriousness, like, you know, I've, I've I completely, I've been there, right? I, I remember mm -hmm. the, the set in the scene, it was a, it was exactly, you know, it was just, just over a year ago. Weather was turning shite. I was living on my own. And, you know, on the surface, I had such a good life, you know. Mm -hmm. My business was flourishing. We'd actually grown in the pandemic. You know, I was super healthy physically. I'd actually, I've been through a health scare in the summer that I'd come through, which was crazy, which I've spoke to you about. Um, I had everything really, but, you know, I also had, I'd had a failed marriage of a year. It lasted a year. And to me, I was, I've said it before, I was, I was embarrassed, I was genuinely embarrassed because I, I put my marriage all over LinkedIn. I was very vocal about it. And when it fell apart so soon, I was like, I felt like everyone was going to laugh at me. And, and I just, you know, I was genuinely embarrassed and really sad that it, more than anything, I was just sad that the vision I had was gone. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it could be a marriage. It could be something through children. It could be anything. But it's amazing how doesn't ma actually matter at times what's going on in business when something so important to you outside of work gets destabilized could be grief of a you know loss of a loved one or whatever you're just not mentally there you're not the same person mm -hmm. you, you, you can't be the same person you can't be and I was I think I held it together quite well online I was pretty vocal I was running my academies I was running my podcast I don't think many people realized but after work I was a mess or before mm -hmm. work I was a mess um well, I would like to go back. So how did you get into this? Tell us your story of getting into psychology. Like, where did that interest and passion come from? Well, I had a similar experience. I was in my early 20s and initially I was studying medicine and wow. I was at medical school. My dad became unwell. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So he, wow. he had about a one in eight chance of surviving. So we're, we were preparing for the worst, but Touchwood is still here today and made a Amazing. miraculous recovery. Um, and I had a girlfriend at that time and she went through a traumatic event and I was just spiraling, like internally spiraling. And my older brother who'd achieved um, a high level, level of success early on in his career said, look, let's have a break, go on holiday. Um, we'll go to Mauritius together. And I was like, okay, perfect. And I remember I had this moment and I'm standing on the beach and, you know, the sun was shining, the... The, the kind of water was like lapping against my feet. I'd met, um, you know, some really good people. And yet, whilst my surroundings, surroundings were idyllic, inside, I was miserable. Like I yeah. couldn't, the sun was shining, but I couldn't feel it. Like I almost felt dead inside and I was lost and I was confused and there was a huge amount of pain and conflict within me. And I suddenly had this almost mini epiphany that actually yes surroundings are important and yes what's happening around us does have an impact but what's almost even more crucial is the state that i have within me 
is it a state of calmness and peace and joy and gratitude and and freedom or am I at conflict? And that really was like the first domino that then knocked down the next one where I realized what I really want to focus on is this inner work. And I thought about it that there's, there's two paths in life. There's the external path, which is focused off on building career and status and prestige and even having you know, the right relationship and getting to the next level, the house, the car, the family, and that's all important, and it's an integral part of our life. But then there's an the internal journey of inner peace, freedom, liberation, joy, deep fulfillment. And these are two separate paths. And I think a lot of the time we fall into focusing on the external path. We think the external will provide the internal. Completely. Nope. Yeah. Completely. And that's the illusion that once we, once we reach said point, it will bring peace, contentment, and I'll feel like, ah, oh, I've made it. And the experience of my clients are, which is often why they're at the top of their game, is they thought, you know, whenever my business hits this level, whenever it's grown to this size, whenever I've scaled it and I'm even approaching, approaching an exit, or I've even sold and I've achieved that exit, it's the most uh, unimpressive, almost... Underwhelming. Uh, underwhelming perfect word underwhelming moment they've gone through and suddenly everything stops and it's like is this what life was all about or they wake up one day and they're like is this is this literally what my life is about and making and building and accumulating and then it gives some pause to actually reflect and often that's whenever people might reach out and that's that's the work that i do with them you know continue yeah. so you're in medicine you went away what happened then? So you changed your degree and went down a different route. How did you get yes, into I, I had a bit of a scenic route. So I left. I remember I was chatting to my dad. He was in um, he was in the Royal Marsden in London. And he said, Luke, he's a doctor. My mom was a doctor. He said, if you don't want to do medicine, don't do it for us. Yeah. And I was doing it because I thought it's a good idea. Following the footsteps of my parents. It's reputable. It's credible, secure. Awesome. And so I left. And initially I took a sabbatical, but had no intention of going back. And I, and I didn't. And so then um, I began training as an actor. Yeah. You know this. You never tell me this. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, <laughs> yeah, this, is a, this is probably a, my, my scenic route. And a big part of that was I was fascinated by the mind, by psychology. And also, though, I had a huge, my biggest block was I didn't un know how to process emotion. So in my early 20s, I'd experienced something, and I would I'd shut down the emotion. I'd try and escape it avoid it, I'd find other ways of, um, you know, drinking, girls, other things which I won't go into. And it was, it was like a, a form of escapism. But I was massively av avoiding my emotional experience and that just built up and that built up over years and it, it would come out at different points and it was very destructive and I would react from emotion. You know, I'd get triggered and then I'd act from that place of anger, act from that place of hurt. And I realized it, that is not the life that I wanted. And I wanted to find this journey of at least understanding my mind, understanding emotion. So I was doing that through acting. Um, I was also working as a, a charity fundraiser. You know, the guys in the streets with the, with the bibs. You've done that. And I did that for a couple of years, actually. Um, wow. And yeah, this is all yeah. new for me. I, um, I mean, I'll, I actually became just to blow my own trumpet. Uh, number one in Scotland and then in the UK 
in, independently and and running teams. But part of it was because I was so passionate about it. I decided I'm only going to do something that I really believe in, and it's charities I believed in, yeah. organizations that I could see the impact it was having. And I, I led from that place of joy and passion. And I think that was infectious with the people around me. I didn't lead with fear. I much more led. Were you knocking on doors or were you stood in like shopping centers? No, standing in the streets. So it could be like Glasgow, Newcastle, London, Manchester, Dublin, yeah. um, you know, pissing down with rain. I know. People trying to have 30 minutes on a lunch and then you've got someone be like, hey. Yeah, you're just like, I just remember I did it in, in the UK for six months in Sheffield, mm -hmm. Doncaster, Barnsley, Rotherham. I was knocking on doors, charities. Mm -hmm. um, I did really well, actually, again, but because it was 100% commission and I was just like, what am I doing? I've just done a degree in PE teaching and then my business partner, Amma, was getting into teaching. I was like, I've got, I've got to do this. So I, I quit. Mm -hmm. Then when we went to Australia and our teaching qualifications weren't valid, that was the first job we got out there, mm -hmm. which was, but it was stood in shopping centers. Yeah. And the Aussies, they didn't like me very much. <laughs> I, just remember, I just spent a whole day going... Hey, can I get? And then they walk back. And he's like, have a good day, mate. Have a good day. I was like, I've told everyone, have a good day. No one's ever said that back to me today. And that was it. I quit. Totally. Um, I think I think it's such a rich training ground, though, because you have to yeah. learn how do you how do you connect with people instantly? How do you yeah. understand where someone's coming from? How do you actually appreciate what their fears and concerns are, even if they are not uh, putting that as their first objection? How would you yeah. get them to see a bigger picture, a bigger vision? How do you get them to see that actually? they can make a difference and feel good about it. And that's a win-win. Um, and I learned a lot about myself as well. So I was doing that. I was doing that during the day to fund myself. I was training as an actor. And then I moved to LA and uh, studied Meisner and Technique. And I, I loved the craft. But at some point, in a way, I, I received what I needed from that experience. And I, I understood my mind, understood my emotion a lot better. I was studying Buddhism. That was a huge part of the journey for me. And that's when I had the idea of studying psychology. And I went back to the four, four year undergrad at St. Andrews in psychology, worked for two years as an assistant psychologist with um, now actually a good friend of mine who had a brain injury, went to UCL, did a doctorate for three years, and then began developing you know, this philosophy, this method, which I work with people now. Yeah, we, that is some serious study in education. Um, that is serious. I mean, I don't think there's a single person in the recruitment industry that's done that much education. I'm just going to put that out there. I think we're, traditionally our sector is made up of people that either didn't go to uni or did go to uni, like me, got like a 2-2, probably went there for the experience, was very sociable, was really good at connecting with people, but probably didn't enjoy the studies as much. And then left uni and was like, what the hell do I do now? You know, did obscure mm -hmm. degrees. The amount of people I know in, in recruitment who did really random degrees that don't lead to anything and then saw an advert, you know, make some money, fell into recruitment and then actually, you know, found that they're really good with people. They can connect with mm -hmm. people. They can connect people to companies and, and they did really well. Um, but yeah, that and was I, an inc incredible amount of education there. And I think that's where, in a way, that you know, that's where um, the psychology piece comes in. Because yeah. the people I work with are experts in their area. And... You know, if you are if you're a visionary and an ideas person, you find someone who can complement you in terms of execution and delivery. If you're a great strategist, you might have someone that also then um, can do customer after care, or you know, you find someone who has an expertise in marketing and sales. You know, you you find the people around you who are already a source of that that knowledge and have, have those skills and have that training. Most people aren't trained in how the mind works. 
no. we're never taught at school the nature of the mind, the rules that it runs by, and how actually they can be your best friend or your worst enemy. They can propel you to the next level, or your mind can actually hold you back from achieving what could be possible. And so because I have that that experience, but I think probably more so for me, it's always been important that I walk the walk, that anything that I work on with a client in some way, shape, or form, I've either implemented it or I've experienced similar feelings or emotions. And I've, I'm in a place now where I can say, you know, I see it, I see you, I feel you, I understand it, and this is a potential path. And it just saves you from having to go go away and well, do 15 yeah, I mean, years of... The things that we've been through in the last year, the way you've helped me understand my brain is incredible. Like, and, and I mean that. Like, if I go back to that moment when we first spoke, you know, I was probably, what, four months out of the relationship, and I was mm -hmm. still... I was really upset still. I was probably a little bit angry at times. I was, you know, my brain was on a bit of a loop with where, where it had gone. I, I questioned myself over and over every day. What did I do? What did I do wrong? Why did it not work? What could I have done? I used to always say, what could I have done better? What if, what if was probably the, or if only, if only I had, or what if were the two phrases that came out of my mouth the most, right? And you, I remember you saying to me, you know, it's all about what is, you know, they're mm -hmm. looking at taking what's how would you explain to someone it that that reality check that you you kind of consistently explain to me where your mind will always go into different angles, but it's about staying true to where where you are right now. Part of it is seeing that we all have an inner voice in our head. We all have a mental narrative that accompanies us throughout the day. And you know, it's the voice that you hear whenever you read a book or whenever you're um uh, in a meeting, you're thinking, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Or uh, it's coming up with judgments about the person that just cut you off um, or skip the queue in line or the voice that criticizes you. Um, whenever you come back from holiday and step on the scales and it says, you know, you fat bastard, you shouldn't have eaten that for a week. You need to lose weight. That's a voice. And it's a voice of the mind. And the mind has evolved in a certain way. And it generally comes from a place of fear, doubt, and judgment. And so everything that the voice says, generally speaking, when it's reacting from a place of emotion, an emotion shapes the state of the mind. It's going to be skewed. And it will often focus on, the mind will focus on what's missing. It'll focus on what I cannot control. And it'll focus on negative events in the past or negative imaginary outcomes in the future. Yeah. Now, if worst, you're not a worst case scenario, <laughs> yeah, totally. And it'll go to worst case scenario. All and it's time. evolved with a negativity bias. Now, you know, with my clients, I'll go over how this negativity bias came into play. But essentially, you know, the Homo lineage has been around for 2 million years, um, modern humans, 200,000 years. Those were the more negative mind on the, on the savannah in that environment. If you always thought about the worst case outcome, and you heard rustling in the bushes and you thought it could be a bear and you, and you left, or you saw that you've got this amount of food and it could run out or the shelter might come down. If you're constantly scanning the world for threat and imagining the worst case scenario, you're more likely to prepare and survive. And those who were more optimistic and thought, oh, you know, it'll be okay, would end up dying out of the gene pool. So our minds have evolved with a negativity bias. It's the way that the brain's built. It's, it's completely natural. You're not broken. It doesn't need to be fixed. But the mind is a tool. 
It's not who you are. It comes up with these thoughts. And the whole part of this journey is being able to, in a way, create separation or distance from what your mind is saying. You begin to notice it, but rather than acting from it, you slow down, you pause, you have more contact with reality. And it leads you to a place where there's stillness and you're much more likely to act from a place of grounded objectivity and wisdom rather than reacting from a place of emotion and making a situation worse. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I remember you said to me, and I put this on LinkedIn and it got a lot of feedback, was like, stop asking what if and just rephrase the words to what is. Do you remember when you said that? What is? When you're not... I know with business, you know, there's always negative potential outcomes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there'll be days where I've decided, you know, this has happened, that's happened, this will happen, that'll happen, and I'll be homeless on the street. Like, my brain will literally go that negative. Totally. And and, and you you can kill an idea before you even had it. You can kill a person before they've even started. You can, you know, you can ruin anything with you, with your what if, you know, negative outcome saga and when you just flip it and go what is you know and that's what i try and do all the time now is i go what is the reality of where i am right now with this there might be problems but what is the actual situation today and as soon as you ground it back to today that you the way you've taught me it's like it just feels better you know you don't you, you instantly release some of that anxiety that you have for the future and you think well it's it's not normally that bad it's never normally that bad Completely, you know, all suffering arises whenever our expectations about reality clash with reality. Mm-hmm. So we have an idea of how the world should be, and then something will happen, and we'll say that it shouldn't have happened. And the mind will then go to like saying, what if it'll project into the future? Mm-hmm. And so actually I was working with um, a client yesterday, so the example came to my mind. Um, they just got hit with a very high tax bill, about three times higher than anticipated. Wow. Now... My client was in a is, is in a place of higher awareness where my client was able to see, okay, the mind will instantly react. And what are the first things that it'll say? This is the last thing we need. This is a nightmare. This will end us. You might go bust now. In three months' time, this could be the end of the company that's already been going for you know X number of years and is in a very successful place. Or it'll turn on turn on my client and say, you know, you idiot, you should have seen this, you should have done more. And then we'll see that the mind will often go to a place of judgment, who's to blame, who's to fault, it'll want to place blame and judgment elsewhere. What he was able to do in a way was pause, slow down, and then come back to reality. What is the reality? This is a big tax bill, but even let's look at the facts. We have X amount in terms of, you know, the company, we can pay it. We will get X amount back, we have this in the pipeline. And actually, when you deal with reality, often it's very grounding. Rather than letting your mind spiral to what could be, every time you come back to what is right now, in this moment, generally things are actually a lot better than your mind will purport them to be. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, Looking back at your experience, obviously, I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but... You know, you were very open on that podcast I listened to about mm-hmm. your own experience with your ex-wife, right? Um, how did you remain? So to find out that not only had she had she met somebody else, but she was going to have a baby with that person while you're married. How did you maintain your own practice? So like mm-hmm. from, from the words you've described it, you you kind of you really used your own skills. Like mm-hmm. did you was there a moment, was there any time in there where you 
you led from emotion or you got, you know, you, you probably didn't, you reacted as that younger Aria, the person who hadn't had the training or anything like that. Was there any moments where you, you wavered or, or, or what in that, in that instant? What was remarkable was just seeing how, how it unfolded in that the way that I potentially would have anticipated I would have felt and dealt with it was different to the place I was in. And so, you know, like with you, there, there was a lot of similarities in that upon hearing that news that, you know, I've been having an affair and I'm pregnant with this man's child, there was just an instant overwhelming sadness. I thought it would have been anger, but it was yeah, actually sadness same. because actually there was so much that I'd suddenly lost, you, you know, I'd lost my wife, you know, the life we created, our dog, our, 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 our house, uh, her family who were like a family to me, just everything that we'd set up, but also like you were saying, the loss of the imagined future of growing old together, having kids together one day of, of being, you know, you'd, we'd see old couples walking along the street and I'd, I'd almost imagine being that being her yeah. and I together. And that suddenly just got snatched, it got like taken away. It just came tumbling down. And so there was that overwhelming sadness and loss associated with that. But then at the same time, and you know, I explain it in the in the podcast with Steve, is that there was also there was like a whisper that I heard. There was this moment I was standing in the kitchen, I was holding onto the table, and tears were just coming down. And then I just heard this whisper, and it was four words, and I couldn't have created this or um, made it happen, but it just said, "All will be well." Four words, all will be well. And where what, you heard that in your head, or yeah, it was almost like a whisper that came from almost like a like came from my heart or a deeper place. It was like it just it just arose, and there was a sense I could sense it was a place of ease and calmness. Now I've always worked with this principle, which is the stillest part of a hurricane is its center. So mm. you know hurricanes can achieve wind speeds of, of up to one hundred and fifty miles an hour, but at the core the eye of the hurricane, that's actually where it's, it's more still. Yeah. And even we can apply that to ourselves, even when we're in a place of tumultuous emotion and pain, beneath the emotion and beneath the thoughts, there's a place of awareness. And the nature of that awareness is actually calmness and serenity and peace and ease and clarity. And I'm just incredibly fortunate that through all my work over 10, 15 years, I I could still live from that place. Now it didn't. It doesn't mean that I didn't have the same thoughts. And didn't did you go same... through the what if and what, what what could have happened and question yourself and doubt yourself? Did you do all that? Completely. And the way that phrase it is, that's what my mind would do, because yeah. that is what the mind will do. It'll always go to a place of fear, judgment, doubt. So whenever I noticed that my mind was going to the future and it was going, "What do you do now? What does? Yeah. How do you even get divorced? Like, what does a financial oh, separation okay. look like?" Yeah. Where where am I going to live? I'm gonna. I'm now going to leave. What's going to happen to the dog? What's going to happen to our, you know, our friends? Or do I have contact with their family? All these questions would come rushing through, and that's whenever I'd pause and say, "Do you know what? Let's just return to the present moment and let's just deal with what's coming up now." And right now is coming. There's a lot of sadness. That's what I need to deal with first. I need to allow that and process that. If it went to doubt and judgment on myself, what could you have done differently? Could you have prevented it? Could you have stopped it? Could you have done more? Could you have seen this? That's when I'd notice it, but I would choose intentionally, consciously, do you know, I'm not gonna go down that road. There will be a time that I go and reflect on it, and I did, 
And I saw that I'm responsible for the context out of which her actions arose. But what I'm not going to do is pick up responsibility for her actions. That was on her. And I can learn. Yeah. And I can learn from this in terms of, because it takes two to tango. She, she was coming from a certain context where we begin to lose, we begin to lose intimacy and connection. And she acted from a place of fear to find intimacy and connection. Now, how she did it, you know, I, I don't agree with or, or would condone or, or even encourage, but I can understand why she did it. Hmm. But there are certain roads that I would see that my mind is trying to pull my consciousness into. And I would choose that's not a road I want to go down to because I know where that road goes. So just to play on that point, nothing to do with mm-hmm. your experience, like what happened to you, but I think that example is so clear, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you take a business owner, mm-hmm. you know, like myself, like whoever in, is listening, you've got so many different opportunities for things to happen, go wrong, right? You've got all the people you manage and hire, you've got your business partners potentially, you've got your wife or your husband, you've got your children, you've got um, your colleagues, the people that work for you, you've got your friends outside of work, you've got your parents, you've got all these people you're trying to serve, right? Mm-hmm. And things will go wrong, you know? The amount of clients mm-hmm. I've spoken to and they've said, yeah, I've had a divorce or, you know, shit went on with me. And, you know, it's common that people at the top of the game in business will, other things go wrong. It's, it's like anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do, how do you help or how would you explain to someone, again, in that, let's say someone leaves your business. Let's say someone mm-hmm. absolutely does the dirty on you and leaves and goes to your biggest competitor, and they've, you know, you, you didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. The bit you just said there about reflecting on the context of which you played a part, but mm-hmm. not taking responsibility for their actions, makes so much sense to me. But when do you do that? Like, because that doesn't sound like you can. You did that straight away in, right. in the eye in the eye of the storm. So when someone's just quit on you or something's just happened. Is that the time to try and work out why, or do you have to do you have to deal with it? For, like, explain a bit more what you think on that front. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's it's such a, a important area to explore. Naturally, it'll, it'll depend on on how much time you have. There's some decisions that have to be made in 24 hours. There's some that you can push back a little bit longer. You know, the Canadian Intelligence Agency they'll split decision making into those two areas. Do I have to make this decision in 24 hours? Or can I actually push it back? And it's an active strategy. If you have the space, that the time not to make any big decisions is whenever you're in a state of emotion. Mm-hmm. Because we know that whenever, and generally the emotion, at, at, at the basis of the most prolonged emotion is fear. Fear of, like we're saying, with that negative bias, what will go wrong? What could the ramifications be in terms of X, Y, and Z? When we're in a place of fear, there's an older part of our brain called the amygdala, and that becomes very active. And it takes over and it dampens activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is at the front of the, the most evolved part of the brain at the front of the head. Now, the prefrontal cortex essentially goes offline. It becomes less active. Now, why is that important? Because that area of the brain is responsible for judgment, decision-making, impulse control, weighing up multiple options, coming up with creative solutions. Yeah. Your biggest source, your biggest tool, your biggest ally has just gone off online. So now is not the time because you're not going to have access to to the strategy or the insight or the clarity that you need. So part of the work that I do with people is two parts. One is how do we deal with the emotion? The emotion is there and how do we find a way of, of, 
of allowing it to pass by. Because generally people make one of three mistakes. One is they try and deny the pain. They try and avoid it and ignore it and push it down and just not even look at it, pretend it's not there. But the problem is it's then blocked and our, our brain is still being affected by it. Or we fuse with it and we just allow our brain to take us down this route of, of putting more gasoline on the fire. And anytime it comes up with negative consequences, it then we then go with it and jump from thought to thought. And it suddenly becomes this final image of us on the street, destitute with no no wife, kids, yeah. and, uh, and no money. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah, we're all in there. That really ramped up quickly. Yeah. Or they act from it. So, you know, the, the work that I do is helping people understand and process, taking away those obstacles so that they can actually deal with emotion a lot more quickly. When you look at studies, emotions last on general, up to a minute, a minute and a half. Wow, really? Yeah. Emotions come and emotions go. Mm. But we fuel the emotion with the activity in our mind. Yeah. You know, you can work with someone that had a slight or something that happened 20 years ago and they're still carrying that pain, that emotion. And so, like you're saying, part of it is being able to, you know, develop the, the skills and tools to be able to yeah. process that motion, reach a place of calmness and clarity, and then and then look at it from that new grounded vantage point. And often things become a lot clearer then. Because once we accept reality for what it is, we're dealing with reality. And often people think, well, if I accept the situation, I'm not going to do anything about it. Their biggest fear is I won't take action. But you know, to put it with that example, what's more empowering? Either I can't believe that this person has left and it's unfair and it's appalling and it's going to lead to this. Or this person has left. Now, how can I understand the situation better? And what are the intelligent solutions I can implement moving forwards? Mm -hmm. I, I, had this, I had this literally a month ago. I had a member of our mm -hmm. staff leave. Um, I probably ignored the signs, if I'm brutally honest. I knew, I knew there, was, there was difficulty in there. When she told me, I was disappointed in the timing, and emotionally, I was probably not the. I was a bit prickly towards her, which I apologised for pretty quickly. Um, and you know, I felt in the first instance like, you know, why would she do this to me? Like, you know, she could have told me last month that she wanted to leave, and we could have worked this out. But then, when I had a, it, literally took minutes to be honest to calm down and 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 apply some of the things we've learned to look at the situation objectively and go, you know what, how do I solve this? Mm -hmm. um, you know, firstly, I apologized to her because <laughs> I was like, I didn't represent myself in a way that I would want to. Mm -hmm. um, whether she, you know, I'm sure she would, she's probably holding on to that a little bit. Um, but then also, you know, how do we work together to get the handover done? And, and you know, I managed to, luckily I already had someone else in the mix, so they came in and it's actually worked out great. And I, you know, she's in a job she wants to be in. I've now got someone in the role that I'm really excited about. And, you know, but that emotion when someone, when you, when you're trying to build a business and you feel like you've put so much into people mm -hmm. and someone leaves you and, but then deep, but deep down, I knew, you know, the gut was the gut, the gut knew. So that was my next thing I wanted to talk about was like, mm -hmm. you know, when you work with these people, typically they're smart, you know, ambitious you know, leaders of businesses, I guess, how much are they already aware of their own problems? 
when you first work with them and how much does it start to evolve over time? Like, do you find people are sleepwalking and they don't know, or do they always, is their gut always, always on point with mm-hmm. where the issues lie when you first work with them? Well, just to quickly reflect on, on what you just said, two things came to me, which I think are really, um, could be quite poignant. One is, you know, your mind's automatic reaction was how could she do this to me? Yeah. And what we want to see is the structure of the mind is such that it will always personalize an external event. Yeah, it was nothing to do with me, was it? <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And that's where, but where if we're unaware, but now, you, now you're in a state of awareness that you can, it happened, you saw it, you caught it, and it might have impacted you for, you know, a few minutes or however long, but then you're able to see actually this isn't about me. Mm. And it's seeing that the mind will personalize, it will take an external action, and it'll add on uh, what I call a layer of perception. It'll take an event, and then it'll add different judgments on top of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it could be, I mean, just even use an example of, um, or, you know, a romantic, uh, two people are in bed, uh, one person goes over to kiss the other person, another person says, you know, I really don't feel like it, and then rolls over and then they both roll over. The reality is one person said, we're trying to kiss, the other person said no, and then they went to sleep. The mind will add on layers though. Oh my goodness, it means that, just say it's the, the man making the move. It means that my wife doesn't care about me. She's rejecting me. It means that, gosh, I'm in a sexless marriage. Um, I can't deal with this. How long will this go on for? Am I gonna be in this place now where we have no intimacy for the next? like 10, 20, 30 years. Mm. These are all added layers on top of it. It's taken one action and personalized it to that person. Now it could be that she doesn't want to have sex for X, Y, or Z reasons, but she'll have her own reasons, but our mind makes it about us. So part of it is seeing that and then realizing what someone else says or does often tells us much more about them than it tells us about ourselves. Yes, we can look at it independently later, but not from a place of emotion. Yeah. And then you're going to like that place of almost... It's really hard though. Like that's a really... I've been in that scenario and it's really hard, like, you know, because your ego gets hit and it's like, you know, you do question why that person isn't feeling what they felt before or what, you know, it it can be as simple as I'm just not in the mood, but you, as a human... (laughs) Yeah, like you say, it feels like we're wired to assume it's about us and, and make it all about Completely. us. Completely. Look, I had it with my ex-wife. The, the question that kept on coming back up and even other people would ask that I really just noticed kept on coming back was, how could she treat you with such disrespect? Hmm. Like someone that loves you, cares for you, and is telling you, no, I do love you and I do care for you, respect for you. How could you, you know, without going into the details, different thoughts would come up of, of what had happened. And it would always be my mind trying to get my, my head around saying, how could you do this to me? How could you treat me with such little, almost like there was no respect or consideration because my mind was making it about me. With time, I was able to, when I was able to actually understand where she was coming from, it wasn't actually about me per se. It was about, we'd lost that sense of connection and intimacy. And she was afraid. She was afraid that she was going to be in this, in this position for perpetuity. You know, the mind was extending into the future for her. And it wanted a way out of the loneliness or the lack of deeper emotional and physical intimacy. 
And the mind came up with options for her and she happened to choose one which led down the road that it did. But when I could see that this wasn't about me, this was about her and actually at the core of her actions, which you could judge very easily was fear. That's when the compassion can yeah. come in. And that's where the understanding and the forgiveness can come in. But you would, in an ideal world, wish that person had turned to you and spoke about it and took action together. That's what you'd ideally want, wouldn't you? Totally. And suffering arose whenever my expectations of reality clash with reality. Hmm. But reality always wins. You know, our mind come up with rules of you shouldn't do that. People should be kinder. People shouldn't do this. That should not happen. Freedom comes from seeing that it is as it is. Hmm. There actually are no shoulds in nature. Nature has beauty and brutality. You know, you just go on, on safari and you see it. The world can be brutal. And, and this will always happen. There will always be parts which will come up. There will be, you know, times when we're in a relationship and we're struggling with connection. Times when we're single and we'd love to be in a relationship. Times when we're finding it an absolute nightmare having two little kids and other times when we're struggling to conceive and we would just pray that a pregnancy could happen. Times when businesses are flourishing and whenever there's uncertainty or markets collapse or pandemics come in and lockdowns are implemented. That is the nature of the world. All we can control is what is my approach to this and then what actions can I take? And sometimes it's just continually stripping back to you. How do I want to lead this situation how do i want to what are the values i want to draw upon that are important to me is it being authentic being truthful being compassionate being wise whatever it is that's all we can control what you're saying is so true i love it and you know i love it because you know this is what i'm investing in with you but one thing i wanted to touch on about your clients traditionally you know and my clients you know and me personally in the past and we have I think in, in, in professional businesses, we have, we have a lot of structure. We have a lot of process, you know, that revolves around our businesses. So we have communication strategies. We have one-to-ones. We have, we have this thing in Hoxo called the level 10, right? Where we literally, every week we have 90 minutes as a, as a leadership team in each department. And we go through a structure that is so organized that starts with positive news and it gets under the bonnet of where we are as a health check. And it ends with, issues that we discuss we identify discuss and solve and we do it and we give each other action points and we go away feeling the week set week ahead set and we come back the following week and we do it again and again and again and it works right it really mm. really works yet when i ask my clients who are similar to your clients on this show you know do you do these things they all say yeah we've all got these strategies in work but then i ask the question having a failed marriage what do you have at home like how do you like plan to communicate with your wife or your husband and your children? Like, do you have a strategy? And honestly, I'm yet to find anyone who can tell me they have a process around this shit. Mm. This is the most important relationship we have. You know, mm. if, we, if we're in a relationship, like, you know, I'm recently in a new relationship and it's brilliant. And, you know, we're already having, there's already challenges, but I've taken so much learning from my past, from work, from you. And, and I feel like I'm so aware daily now that I hope I don't drop the ball because I, I genuinely feel like I'm, I'm treating it like I would my business. Whereas when I, when, where does that, like, is this something you work on with a lot of people? And is it a genuine problem you see in the set in, 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 with, with, with high performing people? Absolutely. And I think part of it at the core of it, one way of looking at it is, is vision. 
Now, some of the most successful people I've worked with have a vision of where they're moving towards. Where even those successful people struggle is often whenever the proverbial shit hits the fan, they lose sight of the vision. And if a business is just growing and, and flowing without an idea of where it's going to go, one day you just end up and it feels like you're just like a, a rudderless boat. You're just like floating in different directions. Actually, the key is that to have, uh, to know where our inspiration lies and what our mission is. And often it's, you know, taking that time because a company goes through different phases and it's understanding with utter clarity, what is my vision? What is this company for? Why am I even doing this? What am I building? What am I creating? What's important to me? Is it about size? Because often when people think about vision, they think about success. And one narrative is build, scale, grow, exit. And that's fine. That's a very valid option. For some people, though, they're, they're doing that, but they're feeling discontent and dissatisfied. And actually, that model may not work as well for them. What they want is producing something that they love and that they value and that they're, they're putting out there and they feel good about. And so then it might, it might require a different set of structures or processes. So structures are phenomenal because they, they create um, an automation of, or a, you know, a, a way of staying, staying on point if you have a vision and you know what the vision is and you're clear. You know, where a company suffers is where if the CEO doesn't have a vision and is completely crystal clear on the company, what his role is, then it just doesn't get filtered down and people begin to treat the company like a job rather than as something that they're part of. And I think the point you made is so astute because often we lose sight of that vision in our personal lives. Yeah, when it comes to your fitness, Tough your health, thing. your relationships, like if you have no vision of what you want it to be, yeah. and I'm working on that vision, like I've literally, like I, I do feel like in my, my life is so different a year later, like, you know, relationship, mm -hmm. I've got a vision, work, I've got a vision. I've just started this calisthenics training. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've talked a lot about fitness and health. I've got a vision of where I'm going with my fitness. Probably don't have much of a vision when it comes to hobbies right now. Like I don't mm -hmm. really have, you know, like self, Mm -hmm. improvement fun that kind of stuff i don't really have any vision around that and that's why i probably think i've i've fallen off the bandwagon with mm -hmm. any of that but it's trying to constantly have a health check on the different parts of life and and think what do i want it to be and then mm -hmm. work backwards from that um mm -hmm. so would you say that's something you can help people with then is it creating that vision outside of work because i do think most most of the people i imagine listening have put loads of time into their business vision I imagine yeah. most have put jack shit time into their relationship vision or their friendship vision or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Part of it is, is creating the space. How often would you ever actually create 90 minutes where you pause and go, okay, do you know what? This is Sean time. And then, and even if you did create that time, you sit down and be like, right, what do we do with Sean time? Uh, <laughs> but do you know what the funny thing is, right? We've been speaking every week for a year and I knew nothing about your life growing up. I just, I, I've learned more about mm. you in the last, 50 minutes than I have in a year, but mm. because we genuinely talk about me for that, I mean, mm. and I, I reckon, I reckon at the beginning, I felt a little bit awkward. I was like, mm -hmm. what have you been mm -hmm. up to, Ari? Like, you know what? <laughs> like, how are you doing? Oh, totally. How are you with me? <laughs> what are we? <laughs> it's not, 
it actually hasn't been about the two way, mm-hmm. even though we've you know we've had lunch and we've met up and things. And mm-hmm. I am genuinely interested, by the way, in your life. I'm not just some <laughs> selfish asshole, but you know, at the end of the day, you're there to to give me that time. And it is yeah. not many people have that or think about that. I don't think. I see my my role in in two ways. One is it's seeking to understand. The more that I can understand you and understand how your mind works and where it naturally gravitates and understand your thoughts and emotions and what's important to you and the way that you want to handle a situation, the more that I understand it, the more that you will understand it. Because as we're going through this, just when we reach that place of clarity, the the solution in a way arises itself. I'm never going to come in and try and... If I took on the burden of trying to solve all your problems... I mean, I would spend, I would be a nervous right before we get on the call and spend all the time thinking, how do I say the right thing at the right time and figure out the right solution? Thankfully, that's not my job. (laughs) So it's just to understand. And then it's about reflecting for me to reflect that truth. Because whenever I'm from the vantage point I'm in with my clients, I can see certain areas that are beneath their level of awareness right now. Now, Whenever something's beneath a level of awareness, it will direct our actions and we'll call it fate. It's like a Carl Jung quote. It's all about developing self-awareness. And so through me sharing truth, coming from a place of non-judgment, understanding, compassion, and genuine care, you know, where clients by genuinely care for you as a person, I consider you someone who's, you know, who we have that very open, honest, trustful relationship. And so by sharing that and then and then that person having more self-awareness they'll have their own answers they'll then know because it's different for everyone every one person and often it's going back to, down to first principles of what you want out of life and how can how can i also understand my mind and my thoughts on my emotions so that i'm more empowered that i've got a more robust sense of self that's less dependent on what's happening around me and much more led from that place of compassion or wisdom or understanding a couple more questions before we you know we don't have to wrap up bang on an hour i don't know if i can with you i said that before um what's the difference between a counselor a psychologist a therapist a mindset coach like there's all these different people out there right now that you could work with and i'll be honest it's fucking confusing right i I haven't got a clue still and you know i've been working with you for a year yeah in your sorry in your words what's the difference they can all come from very different disciplines and 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 they have different method methodologies and they'll probably have different outcomes so you know traditionally a counselor would probably be more focused on um potentially someone like carl rogers but i suppose a lot of people wouldn't know who that is no. but it's much more just about listening and uh and providing a space a therapist might be a psychoanalyst it might come from freud and that's much more about delving into the past and seeing how what happened potentially within your childhood and seeing how those patterns might be playing out now um uh, clinical psychologists will often work with the mind and the ways in which anxiety, depression, or more severe disorders might affect it. You could have a coach that might not have a background in in psychology, but may have done you know different courses. I think if you're looking for someone, I would I would definitely look into what their background is, what their expertise is, um, you know their their credibility, but then also how you feel. Do you connect with them? Do you trust them? Do you have that sense of um, 
that you're in safe hands. Uh, in terms of my approach, it's a lot more present moment, moment focused. It's, it's not about, look, there might be patterns that we pick up, but it's much more about where you are now and where you want to go. It's a lot more about empowering you and being solution focused rather than. Well, that's the one thing I would say about, I've never felt you judge me in any way or give me, a, you don't give me advice. You don't tell me what to do in any way. Like, you know, you're not, you're not, yeah, the judgment that you sometimes, even like of your parents, your friends, you know, when you tell them something shit's going on and they're like instantly, you can see their eyes roll like, why the fuck are you putting up with that? Or, mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, you go in and if you go into a lot of, when I was going through problems with my marriage, I didn't talk about it to anyone. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. I'm a business partner. I didn't fucking tell him for about a year because I was embarrassed. And do you know what? I didn't want to damage her, his view of her. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people go through that. They're scared to totally. say hey, my marriage is shit or my business is struggling or whatever because they don't want other people's opinion to be negative of that. Um, because it, and it's judgment and you fear. And whereas with you, I've always felt there is no judgment. It is genuinely just an honest chat about where I am that you then, like you say, you replay it almost back to me in a way that. I'm able to shape an action or mm-hmm. some weeks we don't even create an action. Some weeks we just, I just feel better. Um, but it has, it has massively helped um, in, in, in more ways than I couldn't, I couldn't explain it in an hour. Like the, the difference, what, what, if you were going to, I mean, again, it's a bit hypothetical. I know we are talking about thousands of people that you don't even know. Right. But if you could mm-hmm. say shape, what are three things or some advice you could provide people for free that might never reach out to you, may never deal with you, but, is there any tips you could just give people that are the, the one denominator is they're usually my clients are or my audience would be, you know, I'd say mid 30s to, you know, 50s, probably got young to middle aged families running a recruitment business. They're running a sales engine. They're time poor. They're ambitious. They're entrepreneurial. You know, I guarantee all of them have got problems somewhere. There's shit going on in everyone's lives. No one's got it completely rosy. You know, is there any classic things you could ask people or tell people just some advice off this that they could they could look at themselves and use? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, it could be part of it, I think, would be like, a huge part for me is understanding what is my intention in the present moment. So when we look at the way that the brain is built, it will often it's guided by a subconscious intention. So to give you a quick analogy, you could have two people in an art gallery and one's intention is to steal a piece of art. And so all the data points, there's so much data in the, in the, in the outside environment that our mind can't take all of it in. So it will only focus on what's relevant to our intention or our goal. Yeah. So if... Um, if you're trying to steal a piece of art, you'll be focused on the where the cameras are, where the security guard is, how heavy the how heavy it would be to get it off the wall, what's my exit plan. If you're there to appreciate the art, your mind will automatically be focusing on the contours and the texture and the color and the light, and you won't notice anything else. No. So the mind is will often be directed by the questions that we give it. So part of it is just noticing where your mind is going. And if you want, give it different questions like what is my intention in the present moment like you're saying a lot of it whenever whenever we're present that's whenever we access a sense of ease and peace and calm so even if it's what is my intention now is to have breakfast just see if you can bring your attention back to having breakfast if you're at work and you're going to a meeting what is my intention going to this meeting okay actually 
you know, what is the ideal outcome I want, have that in your mind. It'll automatically begin working for you. If you're going into a big client pitch, what is the key thing I want to get across? What is my intention here? If you're having dinner with your wife or your partner or whoever, what is my intention in, the, in this moment? Is it to connect with her? Is it to listen to her, to share what I've been through? If you're with your kids, wow. what is my intention? I don't think I've even got that yet. That's something I'm probably not on top of. It's just brilliant. Mm. And it's just a simple question. I ask myself it uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 times a day. Each little transition, what is my intention in this moment? And just, and like your, your mind will naturally drift off it, but then it can just be. Because if you think about it, like you, you're right. Like you, I had breakfast before whilst reading emails, whilst putting the dog out or something. Like there's three or four things going on. Did I even taste the bloody breakfast? Probably not. Did I read the emails well? No. <laughs> did, I, yeah. did I serve the dog very well? <laughs> no. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that. And you're trying to be this, you know, entrepreneurial a hustler with loads of things going on but what happens is you tend to do a lot of them badly when you when you're not focused um totally okay totally. that's number one what else would that's you number do? One. And, and just to give you a, you know a quick um just a quick example that's why when people are most present it's when actually they can be most effective yeah. you know when if you look at sports it's the that you know uh golf shot in the in the masters or in the wimbledon final or in that nba shot before the buzzer goes what separates the, the the masters in the world from even the elite isn't always skill but it's the ability to access that skill at the most important moments yeah and actually whenever we're present we have so much more access to that skill and creativity you know i think mark vansell said in the last dance about about uh Michael Jordan, his greatest ability wasn't the way that he shot the ball, the way that he ran. His greatest ability was that he was present. When he was there, he was on court. His mind wasn't somewhere else. And, that, and Yeah, that is so. I mean, even football. I mean, mm -hmm. I love my football. I've played a lot, et cetera, but not, not to a high enough standard that I would have wanted growing up. I know my decision-making capability was not good enough in, in, in the moments mm -hmm. what you know, skill-wise, I was a very good player. I could kick, I could do what I want with the football. And you look at that now, you think, what is the difference between a championship player and a Premier League player, or a Premier League player and a Champions League player, or whatever? And it is that ability to draw on it at the right at the time, like the decision, like Ronaldo and Messi. Like, you know, I don't like Man United. I love what Cristiano Ronaldo does right now. He's propping Man United. I know you're not a football fan, but he's propping them up right now. And every game he pops up in the last minute, and it's because he's so awake. The guy is like the most. He's the Michael Jordan of football, in my opinion, you know? Yeah. So, such a good example. Such a good yeah, example. yeah, totally. And and like you're saying, it's actually the, it's all, it's all the, it's all the greats that have, have experienced that. You know, it's the, it's the Michael Jordan, it's the Roger Federer's, it's the Serena Williams, the Tigers, the Pele, Messi, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali. They've all been immersed in the present moment. And that's when they're in the zone and that's when they're in complete flow. There's total awareness of the present moment. Do you think again? Just to, I don't want to keep touching on, but some of the people you've 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 explained, and not I'm not I don't know them personally, right? But a lot of the people I see that I don't know, you know, I've read about Steve Jobs and some of these Richard Bransons, and they're so present in that moment, but they they do tend to drop the ball in other areas. You know, they're not always the best husbands or wives, or you know, they're not the best fathers. They're not, you know, and again, I'm on this journey to find balance. 
So is, mm-hmm. is it possible to be present in all areas? Is it, is it even like to be the best you can be? Not? Is that possible? Or are you always inevitably going to drop some things in the pursuit of certain successes? I think there's two parts to that. One is you can only ever be present in one moment, which is this moment, which is now, which is now, which is now. Right now, I can't be, you know, a good partner if I had a partner because I'm talking to you. So yeah, all I can do is control this one moment. I actually can't be working on developing my group program, putting on the final touches right now. So it's about it's about having that freedom and awareness of what do I want to focus on, what's important to me. Yeah. So you can always be present. The key, though, is using it as a tool. So I go for a walk every day. Um, there's sometimes that I will uh, go for a walk and listen to a podcast. There's other times, though, that I will consciously, uh, the other times I'll have to reply to a few emails. And there's other times that I will choose to just take in the moment either listen to a song or just listen to nature and just be present with looking around. But it's all coming intentionally. And I'm, I'm acting, I'm choosing it intentionally because I'm asking myself another question I'd ask myself is what, do, what does my mind or my body need right now? What does my mind need or what does my body need? How do I, how do I nourish myself right now? And some days that'll mean having an early night and some days that'll mean actually having an earlier, uh, working for an extra hour. Some days that'll mean going to the gym. Other days that'll mean just going for a walk. Some days that'll mean canceling that social event. Other times it'll mean going out and actually making sure you spend time with your friends. It'll always vary, but whenever you're present and you're checking in with what you need, there is a uh, clarity of perception. So then there's an accuracy of response. You're constantly changing and twisting the dial according to what you need most to be your best and i reckon most people would be honest in our in 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 the audience and some of the people like sean who's been a client of mine just commented laughing at my food plus phone plus laptop comment um and uh, i can see sean laughing at that in my head uh, but you know i'm sure a lot of people listening would empathize that you do get home from work or you finish work and your partner's there or your kids are there or whatever and you're not present you're thinking about the day you're thinking about tomorrow you're checking an email you're you might not even have your phone in your hand, but your brain is not in the room. Yeah. And, you know, I'm personally going to take that after today and try and say to myself, what's my intention in this moment? Because I, I haven't been doing that. So yeah. um, I'm a bit gutted you've missed that in the last 12 months, Aria. You should have, you should have sorted that one out. <laughs> so- enough time to figure that one out. I'm joking. Um, what's number well, that- two? Give us another knowledge bomb. Number two, I'd say that, um, use what I call this yes and principle. Right. So often the first, in a way, it's like having two sides of a list. Right. Uh, and it's seeing that, yes, acknowledging how you're thinking or how, how you're feeling. Yes, this is painful. Yes, this is hard. Yes, I feel like I'm struggling. Yes, I feel alone. Yes, I wish this would end. And, and that's whenever, in a way, you provide a more... Uh, grounded, compassionate response, and it's going to be okay. And this too shall pass, and the story isn't over, and I can grow through this, and I can handle this, and I'm not going to let this take me down, and all will be well, and I can do this. So it's it's noticing where your mind is right now. Yes, this is where I am, and it's not the end of the story. Hmm. And, and often what we, we begin to do is we, we begin to build a, rela- a different relationship with our mind. 
you know, our mind will come up with the judgments, putting ourselves down and going to worst case scenario. Yes, you know, I get it. You're there. That thought is arising. And mind, listen, don't worry, I've got it. It's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to figure out a plan. I'm going to speak to the right person. And that, that just creates a little bit more balance. Amazing. Aria, I, I think, look, we could go on all day here. And uh, I'm genuinely, you know, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm sold on it. And it, it genuinely has changed my life. You know, it's genuinely made such an impact. I look forward to our sessions on a Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. I, I genuinely, sometimes I'm like, I just need to talk. And I never knew I needed that before. Um, mm -hmm. Now, obviously, at the moment, you you operate very much on a one-to-one -one basis but mm -hmm. tell us about what what's coming up for you to be able to reach more people and, and help potentially some of my listeners yeah i'm actually really excited because i'm developing a so right now i can only work with a slight number of individuals and so there's you know a number of people that i can't have access to that would that would like that and so i'm developing um kind of intimate master class uh probably be with about 10 people and it'll be an opportunity that we can still you know still have access to me i can still be working with them in this um in a in a setting of you know like-minded um you know highly aspirational highly performing individuals that want to understand their mind that want to push the needle that want to actually would be interested in even having um being a part of meeting others and, and the value that they bring, you know, either in terms of insights or even in terms of business with that kind of cross collaboration. Uh, so I'm, I'm putting the final touches on that. So um, I'm really excited for that because I think that'll be another 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 level. Um, so people are interested. Yeah, definitely. How um, do they in touch? Where do they find out more? Uh, probably website's the best, um, dr-aria.com. And then on there you can join, um, you can kind of join the community and that's where I'll be sending out the kind of earliest notification of that, of that group. Right. Um, if someone wanted to message you on LinkedIn, is that okay? Because that's... Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Definitely. I'll um, you anyway, so people just yeah. follow them. I should have a one-to-one -one spot opening up in a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, if people are interested, uh, e either in just sharing a reflection on what we talked about or a, or a question or they want to explore um, training together or anything like that, yeah, of course. I remember when you when you went on Stephen's podcast, you, your inbox on Instagram must have blown up because I messaged you on there and I never got a reply until we, about a few days later, when Amma emailed and you we, we arranged a call and then you yeah. read your inbox and was like, shit, I, I missed this. But yeah. you know, I'm not sure it's going to be quite the same level of, <laughs> of engagement off this one. But I hope, you know, I really hope that people are listening, reach out to you and ask some questions because you are that type of person. You'll always give time if you can. And, you know, you've always got words of wisdom. Um, Aria, I want to just say thanks for giving us some time today, you know, an hour and 10. Yeah, sure. um, it's been been incredible. Like I said, I've learned things that I didn't even know in and you've given me more advice that you know and tips that I can use personally. I'm sure people in the audience have, have enjoyed this. Um, but a few questions on the side, more about where like a few people have come in halfway through. So mm -hmm. for those of you that have, it's not on the Hoxo page. This is directly on mine, Sean Anderson's LinkedIn page. If you go to my profile, as soon as I click stop on this video, it will the full video will be live. But on Monday from 6 a.m. UK time, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, you can get the rag podcast um it'll be all uploaded for you on there as well um aria you're an absolute legend i hope people enjoyed 
this and uh, I really do hope people reach out to you. Um, for those of you that are listening, um, as always, I will be uh, I will be back again uh, next Wednesday. Um, so I will catch you all very, very soon. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. and would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week. That's live on LinkedIn at 12 p.m. on Thursday, or you can catch the show on the following Monday from 6 a.m. on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll see you soon.